0: Two, 1-0 defeats this week, and as ever, we have lots of you sending in your thoughts. We'll start in Oxfordshire, and Aidan James with the classic, why can't we take throw-ins? A few people with similar thoughts. Ant Copeland thought we were terrible first half, but much better in the second. Rich Hassel thought crew were terrible for the first 85 minutes, and Joshua Cudney was somewhere in the middle, thinking crew were non-existent for the first 75, but then had three great chances. Keith is worried that teams have now worked out that they need to press us from high up the pitch, with Sam Medford thinking it will take time for this new team to gel, although there was a positive last 20 minutes. The theme of it being a work in progress was echoed by Mark Bertels, who thinks we will be fine in the end, and also wants to mention the fans who travelled down there. Moving on to some of the players then. Anthony Evans thought the back four were very good, and Thomas was impressive on his debut. The midfield drew criticism from James B and Richard Judson, with Finney particularly failing to impress. Stephen Dale and Dean both focused on the forwards and the lack of goals, with Dean labelling them toothless. Finally for Oxford, Adam Turner focused on the positives that the last time we played Oxford it was 6-0. He does think a change in shape is needed now though, with Kirk gone. A call echoed by James Hanley, who thinks the players we now have don't suit a 4-3-3. We'll start with Grosse Point Antifa for Saturday and he wants the fans to be patient and the players to be proud of wearing the shirt. Ryan Hayward thought it was too similar to the Oxford game. He thought they got better second half again, like Steve Bennett, who thought the second half should have got crew a point. Alexander 6077 agreed, although he also thought the ref ruined it by letting them time waste. The ref also caught Ben Benson's eye, who thought he was worse than the Alex. H Robinson is full of praise for the effort, although not the quality of the team. Daz didn't quite agree with that and thought it was a very poor performance. Tom Mayle thought the goalkeepers were the difference between the two teams. Sutty Seeker thinks the defence looks so nervous when the ball is around the box. And Callum says we're missing the Wintel-type player in midfield. Few people commenting on the season as a whole. Andrew Yarwood and Mr B are in agreement that it's shaping up to be a long slog this season. Ben Pearson is trying to see the positives, but it's not currently easy. And finally, Jonathan Ditt isn't too worried yet, but if crew find themselves in the bottom four after the next four league games, it might be time to be concerned. Hello and welcome back to the Railway Men podcast. We have our trio of panellists here, all making their season debut this week, uh, ready to dissect the games. Firstly, it's Tim Robinson. Hi, Tim. Hi, Stu. Next, Steve Hatton. Hi, Steve. Hi, Stu. And lastly, making his first appearance on our Monday pods, but you may have heard him over the summer on our Bob Scott episode. It's Andy Kinnear. Hi, Andy.
1: Hi, Stu. Good to be back.
0: OK, so let's jump straight in. Uh, it seems logical to start with a trip to Oxford on Tuesday night. Uh, we'll get to the game in a minute, but I think the first thing to mention is the team. No Dale, no and no McDonald, no Lung or McFadstein. Um, it didn't look great from the start, did it, with all those players out with the norovirus, I believe, Tim?
2: Yeah, right from the uh, the time the team sheet was announced, you sense it could be a, a bit of a long evening, and um, it only got worse with... Uh, Dale going off after not very long apparently ill. Yeah.
0: And uh, Steve, I don't know about you but I thought that the first 11 looked okay. It was a strong first 11 but then the subs bench looked a little bit short on quality, maybe a little bit short on experience for sure.
3: It looked a little bit short on people, didn't it? Because I don't even think we had enough to fill the bench but um, looking at it you think, well, where are your options? And you've got Porter and Griffiths, and and I think I'm right in saying they're the only Johnson as well, obviously, and Daniels. But the only two forward options were were those two, really. Um, so yeah, they it, it didn't it didn't bode well from the off, shall we say?
0: And then Andy, I'm going to come to you and ask you this question: Do you think crew players just don't fancy that trip to Oxford? You know, last year all got COVID to avoid playing. This year they all got norovirus. What is it about Oxfordshire
1: they just don't like? It's definitely a bit of a Jonah. I think there's a there's a there's a bad look. Um, uh, element to it, I, I think it um, it felt like a bit of a cloud after Portsmouth because Portsmouth was such an abject performance, and I think for, for for that preamble with the norovirus to kick in in the, in the day before the Oxford game, it felt to me like it put a bit of a shadow over it. I, I felt for them a little bit actually. They were going out there knowing it wasn't a, uh, you know knowing it wasn't our best side. Uh, off the back of a, you know, off the back of a pretty poor performance, I, um, yeah, you know, I felt sorry for the lads actually a little bit. I thought it was a, you know, a pretty tough
0: gig. Okay, Tim, I'm going to come to you to um, because you and I have got a bit of a disagreement on this game, the Oxford game. I thought it was rubbish. You were quite optimistic at full time at the end of the Oxford game.
2: Yeah, I, I actually came away from Tuesday feeling very optimistic. Not necessarily um, about the quality. I thought. There was a real lack of fluency, but understandably so. What impressed me was just the fact that even though we weren't playing very well, it was obvious that the the passion, the determination, um, the desire to play was was there. Um, the team got clapped off the end, uh, clapped off the pitch at the end by the travelling fans, and and rightly so because they gave it absolutely everything. And I did think in the last fifteen or twenty minutes. We looked like we could snatch a draw. I don't think it would have been a deserved draw. I thought Oxford were a better team and probably should have been further ahead than one Um But there were times last season when we were behind where we we jacked it in. Um, you know, Oxford at home being one example. I think um, Burton at home as well being another. Uh, Portsmouth away, um, and, and we didn't. We kept on going. We kept on fighting and. I think it was really admirable to see the team fighting for the shirt, fighting for the badge. And it was that that made me really happy coming away from the game.
0: Um, Steve, uh, I'm going to come to your record of goals scored for games you've been to in a minute when we get onto the Atkinson stanley game. Um, did, you think, did you see Cruz scoring at all in that game? I know Regan Griffiths came closest right at the end. Did you think there was a goal coming whilst we were sat watching it?
3: For, for three quarters of the match, no, because their goalkeeper was a spectator. Um, but when in that final quarter, like Tim's mentioned, when Porter came on um, and we just kind of went for it a bit more, we, we threatened. And I, and I did feel it was a little bit harsh that we didn't snatch an equaliser. In all fairness, Dave Richards wasn't really troubled after the penalty either. They had, they had lots of the ball and lots of shots that maybe fizzed wide, but he, he didn't really have a save to make. Um, and I thought we, we could have justly snatched it at the end. But up until about the 70th minute, when I think Ainley, Ainley had a shot when he cut inside and it was comfortably held by the keeper, we didn't have any threat whatsoever and it didn't look like we were ever going to score. But in the last quarter, suddenly we, we kind of came to life, really.
0: Yeah, I think that Ainley shot was, I think, around the 68th minute, 67, 68. That was the first shot on target in the game. Um, Andy, what are you putting down, these these slow starts to uh, this season? Because, I mean, we'll talk about Accrington-Stanley in a sec, but Portsmouth didn't start particularly very strongly. Oxford, it took us, what, 78, 75 minutes to get going?
1: Yeah, there's been a noticeable change in tempo, hasn't there, from, from the from the games last season? We came out the blocks really fast. It felt like really energised. I, I think, um, certainly Portsmouth and Oxford, I thought we looked nervous when we started. I think it was players who were... Uh, afraid of making a mistake, being quite cautious. You know, both the fullbacks, as 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 good as they were by the end of the game. I think in the beginning they were turning back inside a lot, passing the ball back to the center halves. There was a lot of that sort of cautious, I don't want to make a mistake kind of football, rather than um, you know, rather than some of the stuff, you know, Steve and Tim have described about going for it towards the end of the game. And it was almost like um, I mean, I don't know what Artel said to them at half time, but it definitely, definitely had some kind of impact. There was a lot more running effort in the second half. I I I'm I'm with you, Tim. I think there was a lot of uh you know positive takeaways by the end of the game actually just for the fact that they kept going, really sort of felt like they were playing for the shirt. Um I thought the support was immense actually I have to say actually a Tuesday night away at Oxford those lads never stopped singing. It was really, really lifting the team I think. And um you know in the end we had a couple of good chances and we could have we could we could have nicked something and it was you know a bit a bit unlucky. But I, I think the beginning of the game I thought it at Portsmouth, and it, and it definitely happened again at Oxford. I thought we looked nervous. We look like a little bit low on confidence, a little bit sort of uncertain, um, a little bit like they've all gone out there knowing that this isn't our best team, um, and, and therefore sort of maybe a bit overly, you know, overly cautious. Um, and I mean, Adebisi, for example, I think you know towards the end of last season, it felt like he was playing with real freedom, real attacking flair, going forward, looking exciting. At the minute, he looks like he's starting games, cautious, nervous. I don't want to make a mistake. I'll turn back and pass inside to, to Offord or whatever more often than not. So like, for me, it's something about the you know the confidence level is probably the, the core of it at the start of the game. As game wore on, I thought they grew into it a bit and, and did a lot better. So it was um, yeah, it's a bit hard to understand really.
0: Steve, there was uh, there was two debutants making their uh, well making their debut. Um, which one do you want to talk about, Knight or T- Tower Thomas?
3: Um, no, I quite I quite liked him. I thought, bear in mind, he probably didn't know a lot of the players' names. I think from when I heard Dave after the match, he said that that he'd had one training session. He he put himself about. He put a real shift in. I think his influence on the game grew a little bit as the half went on. He looked at, he, he lost the ball a lot in the first half, but um, he he got himself some some nice pockets of space and delivered some threatening balls into the box in that. In that good spell we had towards the end and i was quite impressed with his spirit to be honest he was he ran his socks off for the cause for a a team and some teammates that he probably barely knew so i I thought it really uh bode well for the rest of his loan spell. really if he can put that much effort and spirit into into that first match when he doesn't really know his teammates
0: yeah i think i think personally he grew into the game first 15-20 minutes the ball just seemed to bounce off him and just go anywhere else he couldn't seem to get it under control which is not what you'd expect from a low knee from a you know a Manchester City uh, uh youngster but second half he looked a bit more threatening he looked like he you know he had some ideas of what to do not a great deal of end product but I think we can cut him some slack like you say Steve he's met these guys on the bus down basically uh so you know hopefully he will grow into the game. Uh, Tim, that leaves you with Terrell Thomas then. What did you make of his debut?
2: Um, positive. I mean, the most notable thing was he gave away the penalty. Just a note on that, by the way, the referee had already given that penalty before the ball even came into the box. He was so keen to give that. But I mean, it was. The ball bounced. He lifted his foot up. in, got to the ball first and went down. It, it was a penalty, but new. Well, in advance that the referee was going to give them one because he was giving them everything. Uh, but yeah, Thomas Thomas was class. Um, the penalty aside, I thought his his reading of the game looked good. Um, he's strong. He's physical. He's quick. Um, I thought there were signs that there's potentially a really good partnership with Luke Offord. Yeah. Um, and um, yeah, a couple of times he he came out with the ball and he reminded me of. Um, Oh, I've forgotten his name. The Al- Algerian centre-half we had on loan.
0: Majid Beghera.
2: Beghera, yeah. 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 Um, so, yeah, I-, I was impressed, especially um, like nights. He, uh, he probably only had one or maybe a couple of training sessions with the rest of his team. So, um, yeah, good start for him other than the penalty.
0: And then we saw at the end a little run out from Regan Griffiths, one of the first few times we've seen him in the first team. I think... The main takeaway is he should have left that header for Chris Porter. But um, what did we think of him when he came on, Andy? I,
1: I, to be fair, I thought he did okay actually. And um, yeah, you're probably you're probably right, Stu, But had it had it nestled in the corner, you'd have been you'd uh, have been more than happy with it. So it was kind of I thought he was a bit unlucky, and it was a slight shame. It was you know literally within 30 seconds of him you know coming onto the pitch, he was still probably finding his bearings and things like that. Um, he put in a tackle at the end, and he got he got booked for a, what was an absolute. Beauty of a tackle. It was probably the tackle of the night, and I thought it was a really harsh decision, the ref, to even give a free kick. Never mind, give me yellow card. I think he looks a little, a little bright spark actually. And I think, you know, one one of the things I think we'll look back on in time, that sort of you know silver lining on this on this dark cloud period we're going through at the minute, is that people like him are getting a little bit of a chance to, you know, get on the pitch and get some time and things like that. I think I think he's got you know real potential star material for the future. And the fact that he's getting competitive games at this level this early in our season, um, I think is actually a. I think it's a real bonus for us. Actually, I think he he, he shows composure when he gets you know involved. I think he, I think he's going to be a really good player. That's my reading of him.
0: Okay, so we'll leave Oxford there then. Uh, the the feeling I'm getting from you guys is that yes, we lost, uh, but it's not the end of the world. Um, is there a little bit of a difference in feeling after Saturday's game at home to Atkinson Stanley? Steve, I'm going to come to you because uh, if you're listening to this, you might notice Steve's sounds a little bit different. Um, Steve, I hope you don't mind me telling people you're currently sat in your car in a service as you've not made it home from the game yet.
3: No, I mean, I'm trying not to let my 700 miles I've really driven in the week and no goals and two disappointing performances, apart from the last 50 minutes, temper my perspective of Saturday's game. But the first half was utterly, utterly dreadful. Um, bit more spirit in the second half. But putting aside my personal grudge about travelling so far for very little reward, I think you have to put into context what's going on off the pitch. There's all sorts of rumblings of discontent. We know we've lost some key players. We know we've had the, the Nova virus. Um, and in the last again quarter of an hour, there was enough spirit there to maybe nick uh, a possibly undeserved equaliser but the first half was dreadful. There's, I don't think there's any other word for it, and I don't think there's any redeeming things that come out of that first half. Um, it was painful.
0: You've, you sort of ruined my next question there, Steve, because I was going to say, without giving away your postcode, you don't live particularly close to Crewe, do you?
3: No, I live on the South Coast in East Sussex.
0: So to get to Oxford away on a Tuesday night and a Saturday game at home, that's some going, uh, and you are rewarded with two goals total, uh, yep. And none in, not in the crew end.
3: And two utterly dreadful referees, incidentally.
0: So, um, Tim, were you in agreement with Steve then the first half Saturday was awful?
2: Uh, yeah, I don't think you'll find many crew fans who, who would disagree with that. Um, I mean, I think the game as a whole, I would say it wasn't the worst performance ever, given the circumstances. Um, but yeah, the fir- the first half, was pretty poor. Um, I mean, it was a bit of a rinse and repeat from the Oxford game, really. Um, if there were going to be more goals, they, it seemed like it was going to be them going further ahead. Um, and, yeah, although there was an improvement second half, at half-time I was pretty despondent.
0: Yeah, I'd agree. It very much felt to me watching it a bit deja vu from uh, Tuesday night. Now, there's sort of a list in my head that I keep of things I don't really like to talk about because, I mean, they are part of football. People like to moan about them. Personally, I don't want to really spend too much time on them. Top of that list is referees. I hate uh, blaming referees for a football game. Darren Drysdale made that very, very difficult for me to keep to that um, yesterday. The other thing I don't like is uh, when we complain about other teams' tactics... Uh Hapkinton Stanley made that very difficult for me not to talk about today. And the other one, just based on last season, is Crew's Goalkeepers. Um, the goal, Steve. Do you want to comment on the, the goal that Michael Nottingham scored?
3: Just because I was I was in, in the grassy road end, and just as they were trotting up for a corner, um, I said to my mates next to me, they they've got a lot of big lads, haven't they? I saw Harry Pell was there, their centre half was huge. And as the words left my mouth, the centre half won the header. Richard gave the lamest of lame punches. I mean, it it, it barely left the six-yard box and just fell at Nottingham's feet. Um, I don't think there was a foul on him. I just think it was a really pathetic punch. Um, and he should have got a little bit of distance if he's going to be punching it, um, but certainly not not dropping there where it did.
0: If you were in the Gresty Road end, Steve, you could have helped him out by blowing the ball a bit further away, I think.
3: Uh, could have done, yeah. Time that time.
0: Might, might have got a bit further distance on it. It was dreadful. And I think Dave Richards had a good start to the season this year. You know, the goals he's conceded, the penalty at Oxford, he couldn't really do anything about. Um, what was the Cheltenham one? The Cheltenham one wasn't his fault. I mean, that Donovan Daniels playing him in an awful position. But that one, I just, it just makes you so frustrated to see. And it's so obvious a way to stop that from happening but it does happen, especially when you're supporting a team like Crewe. We haven't got the best goalkeepers, we know that, but it's so frustrating still. Um, Tim, do you want to talk about Atkinson-Stanley? We know what they're like. We saw it last year. They're a very physical team, but they're also very good at doing the, the, the naughty things, the bad things well, aren't they? Immediately time-wasting. Uh, I don't know how many players went down injured yesterday. I think the whole team got a, a spell with the physio at some stage.
2: Yeah, You've got to admire John Coleman. I mean, it's not all dirty tricks. They do play some good football as well. Um, you've also got to admire the Atkinson fans. I think they're hands down the friendliest bunch in the world. Um, certainly in, in League One, every single one of them says, hello to you, and says good game, and, and the rest of it. But, yeah, look, although they do play some good football, they're also very, very astute at the dark arts. Um I was on the train with Russ on the way to the game and um, we were sort of saying they're the, they're the last team we could have done with playing yesterday when things are a little bit up in the air. The last team you want to be up against is a team as um, organised and as disciplined and as hard as Accrington. But yeah, the are loads of off-the-ball fouls that the ref missed, loads of time-wasting, loads of rolling around. Um, they're just very, very clever at what they do and certainly for the first hour, they had things pretty much their own way. Um, we did get to grips with them a bit towards the end. But, um, yeah, it's not the sort of football I'd like to watch every week necessarily, but um, fair play to them. They're very, very good
0: at it. Darren Drysdale, Ben. <laughs> Shall we just leave it at we all have sympathy with Alan Judge? Should we just leave it at that? you you could
3: start on him and go on for an hour and it's it's redundant and it's pointless he he was incompetent but I, I believe he was equally poor for both teams and he he didn't really have a bearing on the result he was just another factor that increases the frustration
0: yeah i agree i think you know if he wasn't referee then some decisions would have been different, but I don't think crew did enough to feel that like they were robbed in that game from a result by the referee. Um, red card, fair enough, Tim. As soon as he puts that arm out, that like, he's in trouble, then especially being booked already, isn't he? Yeah,
2: yeah, uh, no, no question. Straight red, no, sorry, not straight red, definite, definite red, definite second yellow. The the first one was a foul in the yellow, The second one
0: was a foul in the yellow. No, no complaints at all from the red for me, okay. Um, Tim, you had a pretty positive spin on the Oxford game. Was there anything you took away from yesterday's game?
2: Yeah, I mean, again, there was there was quite a lot. I thought um, Ramsey and Rio were were brilliant in the first two thirds of the pitch, um, and I think once they gain composure in the final third, they're going to be absolutely superb. Um, and I thought McDonald and Luke Murphy were fantastic uh, two man midfield three.
3: And I think also, um, only a cameo, but McFazdean. Proved when he came on, he's quite possibly not the worst player ever. Um, and maybe all the negative press he got from Sunderland was a little bit unwarranted. Didn't play long, but but shot enough, little give and go, had a good attempt that was blocked. Bit of promise from him there as well, I thought.
0: Yeah, I think that's probably fair enough. I uh, had that shot right at the end, didn't he? That was a good save from the keeper. Uh, another player who could maybe should have scored, Oli Finney. I mean, it was on his right foot swinger. Um, but he had a dreadful game on Tuesday night, didn't he? And, and it was good to see that he got himself back into those positions, uh, which is becoming what he's known for, you know, the goal-scoring positions. So that was good to see, wasn't it?
3: Yeah, he was, he was awful um, Tuesday. And in the games I've seen him, he's not even had an attempt at goal, which is the one thing you can rely on him for, no matter how badly he's playing, he'll, he'll have a sniff on goal. So it was good to see him getting back into those threatening, plat-like positions again.
1: I think there's a factor in there for me, Joe about the three the three boys that are the kind of the more senior uh, Academy grads in this team, in Ainley Finney and Offord. Um I'm not saying Offord started badly, but he he looks like he's been found out for pace a couple of times. And I think that that that's sort of, you know, slightly worrying. I think Finney Finney for me looks like he's still making his way back from injury in reality. And he he hasn't really found form. I thought that, you know, I mean, watch the highlights, I thought that was a good chance at the end yesterday, and he puts that you know, inches further further wide of the keeper. And that's that's a one-all. And we we probably wouldn't be moaning so much. And the same with Ainley, it feels like a heap of expectation has been put on his shoulders because the other creative boys in the team are are not there for whatever reason. Um and he's he's not quite living up to it just yet. And I you know I think actually all three of them are, are pretty solid good players. Um and if they can actually find some 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 better form, I think again it will, it will certainly help.
0: Yeah, I'd, I'd have to say I agree with that. I think that possibly Luke Offord looks the best of the three at the moment, but I think Calla just hasn't got started this season. He scored that one goal at Hartlepool, you know, and I said last week it was a good technical goal. Uh, the ball's coming down, he volleys it in, it's nice. But every league game I've seen, he's looked like he doesn't, he, he's short of confidence. He doesn't know what to do. He's not sure where to pass it, he's not sure when to pass it. Um, a lot of the time he's holding onto it and losing it. Uh, And Tim, I know you made the point yesterday in like a WhatsApp to me where he had that one-on-one with six foot six centre back and he doesn't know what to do. He sort of rolls it when he studs a couple of times and then in the end he gets tackled and falls over. Uh, To me, I just think that summed up his performance yesterday and his performance so far this season. There has been a few people, you know, saying he's out of position, he's playing left wing. He wasn't yesterday and he's still, he's not creating anything. I don't know if that's too harsh, I don't know if that's fair, I, but I just haven't seen anything yet to convince me that he's going to go on and become better. I, I agree. A,
3: a, a lot on his shoulders thought he was the main man this year and yesterday I thought this is his moment in the position we want him played in and and that moment you highlighted in the first half when you think, go on, take him on, take him on, leave him for dead... And he, he he did a lame trick, fell over, and the six foot five defender gets the better of him. And You think, that no, you should be killing him in that position, but he didn't.
1: I think he's lost a lot of the quality around him as well. To be fair, when when, he, when he's looked, you know, shown flashes of brilliance in in last season and so on, you know, he's had Pixie or Kirky or people around him. He's done those little give and goes they've probably been doing for you know ten years in the in the youth team and so on. I think he's he's feeling his way a little bit. I think we're sort of somehow thinking he's going to be a, a Maradona working around people and all of that and he's he's not that kind of player. I, I, I think he'll be okay. Um I, I slightly feel sorry for him actually because I think I think we've all been guilty of putting a bit of a uh you know he's gonna be this star creative talent uh you know for the, for this season and I'm I'm not sure he's quite ready to be that player yet.
2: I think the issue yesterday wasn't so much that we were expecting brilliance, but he just wasn't capable of doing the basics and he, he needs to be a big player for us this season. And on that display yesterday, he's a million miles
0: off. Andy, I'm going to end uh, the talk on the two games this week by what you said before we came on, uh, before we started recording, about your first few seasons watching, Crew. Um, just for a bit of perspective, it's not doom and gloom. We're four games into the league season, uh, in League One. Do you want to just tell us or tell everybody what you told us before yeah, we started yeah. recording?
1: Yeah, no, sure. I mean, it's, it, it's certainly been much, much, much worse than this. Uh, I would I would definitely say that. Yeah, when I started, when I was a kid, uh, the first four seasons I watched, Crew we applied for re-election to the league in all four of those seasons. So um, we were we were something. I think I think it goes. We were bottom. Then we were bottom. Then we were next to bottom. Then we were bottom again. Um, and, you know, had we had, you know, promotion and uh, and so on um, and relegation from the league back then, we'd have been we'd have been long gone long time ago. So I kind of think, you know, these cycles happen, you know, we we build a decent team, we lose some players, we go through a rocky period um, and we come good. I You know, I think um, Steve's comment about the off pitch uh, stuff is really is really pertinent right now. And I think for me, it's a bit of the sooner we can get into some level of stability. Um, and begin to start you know building on some positives then then there's every chance but but keep the faith everybody it's only it's only four games in we've we've had a lot worse than this believe me
0: so Andy you got to uh be on the pod with Bob Scott in the summer who do you think 30 35 years the kids that are going to Grestley Road today are going to be on their pod out of this current team interviewing their hero from their childhood
1: yeah, well, I think I think they like. I mean, like, the first thing that I always like is people who who sort of give their heart and soul, you know. And you know, I think um, uh, the comments Tim was making then about um, Rio Adabisi, I think are in that. He, he's in that spirit. I think he's going to be one of those players that'll become a hero player for Crew. Actually, his energy is is fantastic. And if you can just find that kind of positive uh, vein, I th- I think he'll be um, a little bit like that. I have to say, I'm really warming to Luke Murphy. Um, I again, I think he's he's not quite found the form or the energy or certainly not the pace he had when he was with us uh, first time round. But he is absolutely heart and soul for Crow. Um, you've only got to read the piece in the um, in the inside crew mag or listen to the podcast you guys did with him. You know, the guy the guy absolutely lives, breathes and loves the the club. And I think at times on the pitch, he shows that and he's he's becoming that sort of. Uh, that leader through his through his actions, and I think again, if I was watching, I'd be you know, sort of agonising at times about his quality, um, but n- never doubting the fact that he's giving everything. You know, he's giving everything for the club. So, you um, know, those are the kind of ones. And then and then maybe the you know Steve's comments about uh, Ben Knight at Oxford again. I think he could be another little bright spot this season. I thought his interview after the game was phenomenal for a 19 year old. Uh, to be to be so sort of you know, erudite and 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 sort of you know all over it. I suspect that says a lot about Man City's comms media training department. But um, but nevertheless it was it was pretty good. And I think, you know, if there's a youngster watching, uh seeing a, you know, seeing a boy, you know, what, 10 years older than me say, uh playing playing as well as he does with such energy, I think he could be a real, a real sort of bright spark hero for us this season.
0: Yeah, one player we've not mentioned at all, really, uh, is Mika Mandron. Um, I think he's just a bit starved of any sort of chance or creativity, or he he's basically having to go and get the ball himself. Uh yesterday he was playing left wing, which I mean, I don't think Dave ortel's put him there because he wants to. It's more of a necessity. But at times yesterday, he was in like a left wing back position. And that's not great, is it? You know, he's our main goal scoring striker. Uh, he will work his socks off and he will go and get the ball, but he's not going to score from there. He's not going to have the pace or the technique to take it, to mention Maradona that whole way. Um, I'm a little bit worried that he's our, our key player in this squad and I don't think we're going to keep him beyond this season. I know it's early days to be thinking about that, but I'm just not convinced we will. I don't know if anyone disagrees or agrees with that.
2: I well, thought he was wonderful yesterday and I think you're probably right. He um, He's much better than the normal standard of forward we have at the club, and it's no surprise to me if other teams are looking at the contract situation and thinking, well, we'll have him.
1: I'd agree with you, Tim. I, I think my, my doubt over... I mean, I, I I really like him, actually. I think his energy is phenomenal. I think he's one of the best target people we've had. His ability to retain the ball against all odds and, and, and bring the rest of the team forward is, is, is fantastic. I, I think the reason he's not already playing championship-level football, though, is his finishing. He just... You know, I I think he's ropey in front of goal. I really do. He's he had a good header chance at Portsmouth. Just just gently knocked it over the bar. You know, he he kind of similar at Oxford. I, you don't ever feel confident that he's actually going to score when he gets into those you know scoring positions. And I think for a centre forward, that is definitely a uh, an issue. But I think he's all round play in the way he brings the team forward. I I think he's fantastic. Actually, a massive asset.
0: Okay, I'm going to end there because I feel like we're a little bit more positive than I thought we were going to be. So it feels like a good place to move on. Uh, Next, we'll have a little look at the games coming up this week. Okay, starting off on Tuesday night then, we are travelling to Ellen Road to play Leeds. Um, Steve, how confident are you this is going to be a similar situation to the Championship glory years of a 2-0 smash-and-grab victory? Um, Can I say very
3: little? (laughs) I imagine they'll they'll put out... not many first teamers but i think they've they signed a few big players for money last year who who got injured Uh, and i'm not sure whether they've returned to first team football yet so i think you'll probably see a smattering of their youngsters plus some of their bigger signings maybe who are returning to fitness and there's probably going to be more than enough to deal with our, our present team and, and all the issues we seem to be facing on and off the pitch and minus Luke Offord, meaning that uh, Mr Daniels gets a run out again. And I do like him, but he is prone to a bit of a gaff, and I'm, I'm just concerned that chucking him into the bare pit of Ellen Road might bring the worst out in him.
0: Um, yeah, just to jump in on something you said at the start there, Steve, uh, a little spoiler alert. I have done a little piece for the Leeds programme. And one of the questions they asked me is, which player are you most looking forward to seeing in this Leeds team? Uh, I've written, I don't know. It's, it's going to be the Leeds reserve team. Uh, yeah. But I mean, I would imagine they're going to play people like Furpo, who they've just signed as a left back from Barcelona, because they're going to be looking at him having game time, getting to know his new team. I mean that sentence. They've just signed in from Barcelona. That enough is a you know that's enough to fill you with a little bit of dread and trepidation against this crew team. That let's be honest, they're not playing very well at the minute. Um, Tim, I'm slightly worried this is going to be five or six nil. I think
2: looking at the positives, Leeds have been knocked out by lower division teams a lot in cup competitions recently. I know Crawley beat them in the FA Cup. They've lost to Hull, Stoke, QPR, Preston in the last couple of years. So. They might not. Look, the League Cup's not going to be high on their list of priorities. However, if they play a decent team and they're switched on, um, they could create a hell of a lot of chances. Um, and, yeah, we could we could get mauled. Um, I think... I, I mean, I remember going to Leeds in the FA Cup in the mid-90s when they had the midfield of, like, Strachan, Batty, Speed and McAllister. Um, not long, I think, after they'd won the league. And... Um, We gave a really good account of ourselves that day and lost 3-1. And if if it was something like that on Tuesday, um, that that wouldn't be a bad, you know, a a nice goal in front of 2,000 travelling fans. That would be a a nice memory for some of us.
0: Yeah, uh, again, that was a point I was going to make. They lost to Holland-Newport last year. They didn't win a cup game last year. They went out in the first chance they had. Uh, But it is going to be, Andy, their second home game with fans back in, looking at the ticket sales, it's already close to a sellout. It's going to be some occasion, isn't it?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that's that's probably the attitude to adopt. Actually, go and enjoy the go and enjoy the experience. Being a you know being a massive stadium with a packed crowd, you know, it looks like the Alex are taking a you know really good um, away support. And I have to say, having been at Portsmouth and Oxford, I think our away support this season is looking you know pretty pretty special. Actually, it's been they've been they've been really buzzing um so I think that would be the the way to enjoy it and actually don't get too you know don't get too sort of vested in the result really I, I think that you know Leeds ought to stroll this frankly and 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 come through you know reasonably comfortably um but does that mean you, you need to have a sort of depressing evening no enjoy enjoy the night have a bit of banter enjoy a couple of you know Yorkshire pubs um and 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 you know make an event of it and um And it'll all be good. It'll kind of live in the memory for those reasons, and not necessarily for the result. I think if we get any kind of result there, I think it will be phenomenal achievement. To be honest, there's a little bit of me, and I know this is a slightly negative thing, but um, I I, I think the cups have lost a bit of luster for me through my through my life. The kind of you know the fact that Leeds will put out a you know such a you know not their first team and so on. I'm not sure it's got that much value as a competition overall. And actually for, for what crew right need right now is no more midweek games and a bit of time to concentrate on the training ground and pulling the team together. So I actually think um g- going out but not going out in a in a horrendously negative way might might actually be <laughs> might actually end up being a bit of a positive if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, I would agree with that. And I'm gonna move on because like you've just said there, the the league game on Saturday is Almost definitely more important. And this is a big week for crew. You know, if you're a crew fan, chances are, or if you're a crew fan in your 20s or younger, chances are you've not been to Ellen Road to watch crew or you've not been to the Valley to watch crew. So this is a big week, isn't it, Tim? And then that league game on Saturday, I think agreeing with Andy, is more important that crew go and give a good account of themselves and get a result that day.
2: Yeah, I think the Leeds game is a free hit. It doesn't, it really doesn't matter what happens. There. And if we get anything out of it, then great. But Charlton, Is massive. I I can't wait for it. It's a long, long time since we've had a London away day, especially on a Saturday. I think the last one was maybe Barnet in like 2018. Um, But they're always great. Um, For us, it's going to be an early train down and then a pub uh, on embankment. And then we're going to get the Thames Clipper over to Greenwich. Um, It'd be great to have a boat full of crew fans uh, in shirts, all singing on the way down the Thames. Uh, We'll probably go in the Trafalgar and Greenwich for a couple by the river and then taxis to the ground. Um, I I hope we have a fantastic away following, loads of fans. Um, I hope we give Kirky a great cheer for all the good times he's given us over the last few years. And then I hope we stuff him. Um, Of course, it's likely to actually be very different to that. But we can dream, can't we?
0: Just a small point on that, Tim. Splashing the cash, getting the Thames Clipper, aren't you? That's the most expensive way to travel around London.
2: No, it's dead
0: cheap. <laughs> um, Steve, Charlton aren't doing very well this season, are they? They're a place above Crewe. Uh, literally the same results. Draw on the first day and then three league defeats since. They are going to be needing a result, aren't they? And they're going to be expecting to beat Crewe at home.
3: I think we've all been here before, haven't we? There's an out of form team who aren't doing very well and aren't scoring many goals. Um, we turn up. I think we all know the outcome. We I have been there so many times and we have been the cure for another team's ills. Um, um, and I know the natives are restless there. I was reading some stuff on Twitter today that they're all up in arms about lack of signings or lack of quality. But. Um, uh, I got a nagging feeling that that might be put to bed at the weekend so I think we're
0: going to probably get rolled over there unfortunately. Andy you got any positivity to uh, combat that?
1: Yeah no, well maybe I mean I th- I think um, I was I was thinking about it last night I was trying to work out if if the fifth game of the season is the earliest you can have a relegation six pointer. Um and w- and whether that whether that was um, you know you know totally fair and stuff. Um but yeah I think you're right Steve I think they they've started you know they've started pretty badly, um, and they've got a big support. Who are going to be fairly vocal and expecting more. I think that can go two ways. You know your team can actually step up, the the crowd get behind them, and they and they you know they turn up on Saturday and they and they beat us. Um, alternatively, you know you 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 play it pretty tight, you you restrict their chances, restrict their kind of open play, and that crowd will you know begin to turn on them a little bit. And we've seen that before, where you know we've all followed crew to, to big stadiums and seen us you know, beat teams in front of big crowds where the crowd have been, you know, been our 12th player. Um, so I I kind of think there's something about how that game starts uh, on Saturday that's really key. I think the most disappointing thing for me at Portsmouth and Oxford was how uh, cautious and nervous and negative we, we, we began the games. And I think if we can get on a front foot at Charlton and go right, not, not at them crazily, but just at them energy wise, um, right for the get-go and sort of say, you know, we're, we're here to genuinely compete with you not, let you, not let you have 80% possession and, you know, we cling on for a couple of chances towards the end. Um, if we can get on the front foot like that, then I think, um, then I think we, we could get something out of it. I, don't, I seriously don't think they're anything special. Um, not really. They wouldn't have started the season like they have if they were. If they were. So, um, so I think we've got every chance of, of, of you know, getting something. But it, it does have to be different than the, the last two away games, that's for certain.
0: Okay, I spoke to Louis from Charlton Live, and he gave us his perspective on the other CAFC. Hi, Louis. Thanks for coming back onto the pod. Uh, Yeah, good to be back. Looking forward to it. So uh, let's start with last season. Charlton finished one place goal difference below the playoffs uh, last year. Um, I remember when you were on, you were not overly optimistic of going up last year. It was more of a case of getting the new owners in and getting that right. Um, have I read that correctly with Charlton's aim? Your thoughts from last season?
4: Yeah, I think that was you know if you think about it, this time last year, if it was the opening day, wasn't it when when we played Crew and, and Charlton was still still under an ownership uh, that that was well really risked the, the future of the club. Um, so so just surviving was, was was sort of the aim as a football club last year, and then Thomas Sangard. Uh, took over just towards the end of um the end of the transfer window in in the summer uh and they sort of rushed to to put together a side that you know should be competitive enough and and even then I thought most people would have been happy with just just bumbling along until this year but but we actually had a spell in in the season sort of early on where we won six in a row and weren 't conceding many goals and and people thought we had a chance and then really I think the uh the nature of the squad that we put together and how rushed it was sort of came back to bite us. And we had, we had this terrible run sort of in the middle of the season and Lee Bowyer ended up leaving and and going to Birmingham. And obviously Nigel Adkins came in um, and and he did really well towards the end of last season. I think he was in charge for 10 games and only, only lost once. Um, And it it was agonizing really. We just missed out on the playoffs on on the last day on, on goal difference. Um, You know, a couple of dodgy results in the run-in sort of cost us, including obviously the, the crew game at the Valley where, it was a last minute leveller. Um, and, and so, you know, it came so close. But realistically, I, I, I saw that as a successful season, considering, considering everything that had gone on before. Um, you know, the, the fact that we even
0: challenged, I thought was a bit of a miracle. So this year, then, I think most people are in agreement. It's quite a tough League One this year. Is promotion the aim for Charlton this year? Uh, playoffs, top spot? What, what's the thoughts? Hmm. Yeah. Well, that
4: that that's that's the big question at the moment because I, I think certainly the messaging throughout the summer suggested that that the aim was going to be you know promotion, top six, anything you want to call it. Um, you know, I think uh, when when we ended we ended last season at home to Hull on the final day and they they, they lifted the, the the trophy for the League One trophy at our, at our ground and um, you know, Nigel Atkins and I think this was every, all of us in, inside the ground shared it. Go like we got to make sure that's us next season. Um and, and the owner came on 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 these uh, on an end of season review that the club did and said that we're gonna blow the, the division out of the water next next season. Um so expectation levels have been set high. Um transfer business as it stands hasn't really reached those levels. Um, and it's quite a confusing story as well, because it's not like we haven't spent money on players, including Obviously, Charlie Kirk, who we'll talk about in a little while. And you know, Jaden Stockley, who was on loan with us last season, we spent some money on him. There's a few good players that have come in that, that have looked decent. But the issue is nowhere near enough, considering the amount of players we lost last season. Um, we haven't really replaced all of them. and You know, Chucks and EK probably being the biggest one. He went up to, to Birmingham with Lee Bowyer. Uh, with, with his contract at an end you know and, and, and losing players like that is just something that will always happen when you're in league one unfortunately I don't think anyone was too upset about the fact that happened we obviously would have rather he would have stayed but we haven't replaced him and I think that that's the main issue at the moment and it doesn't help that the the start of the season has just turned into an absolute disaster and things have really boiled over now four four games without a win that's the first time that's ever happened to us at the start of the season for 25 years um and the performances, there's been spells in games where Charlton have looked okay, but only spells. And even then, we're not we're not working the goalkeeper much. Like I think we scored twice all season, both one one from a penalty, uh, which we won at a corner, and then uh, the, the other one from a free kick that we whipped in. So effectively set pieces. Um, and yeah, there, there's plenty of concerns about about the way things are going at the moment, unfortunately. And you know. You put you have to sort of put it in in retrospect that it's not like it's not the same concerns we had last year. Okay, we're stable now. It's not this isn't the Roland Duchat era coming around again. It's just a little bit more. I think fans just feel a little bit short-changed at the moment, considering the where the expectation levels were. Um, and just hope that Thomas Sangard will sort of take take note of, of, of the fans' concerns and look at where he is and and make sure he just sort of writes a, a few of the wrongs that have happened so far.
0: Yeah. So I was going to go on to the games this year. Then at the moment with the table, uh, Charlton are one place above Crew, both in the bottom four. Early days, obviously. Uh, one draw on the first day, and then three losses. What's the fan thought at Charlton at the minute with that? Then.
4: Yeah. Well, it's it's not great. <laughs> um, it, like I mean, the the reaction at full time yesterday against against Wigan on Saturday was. Um, was was quite stark, really, and, and, and um, not, not something you'd expect to see only on the second home game of the season. But uh, I think Wigan were clearly the better team against Charlton. And and if it wasn't for our goalkeeper, who played really well, we, we could have easily been two two or three down at half-time. Second half became a bit more even and Wigan weren't creating as many chances. But still, Craig McGovery made one big save and then Wigan scored twice right at the death. And um, <clears throat> I think the fact that Charlton weren't really creating many chances at the other end it does mean it was probably a deserved win for for Wigan or like certainly a deserved win for Wigan. And then at uh, full time, I mean, that the, the chance, the, you know, the standard chance when, when the team isn't doing very well, you're not fit to wear the shirt, all that sort of stuff came out and lots of booing for, for Nigel Atkins and, and the team, but also some, like some applause as well, when the team came over, but certainly fans were showing their frustrations. And, um, and, and again, it comes down, it comes back to me. The The reason it's been so stark so early on is because I think, Plenty of Charlton fans all summer thought, yeah. This is this is going to be our year. We're going to really stamp our mark on League One this year and have a real go. Um, you know, obviously Ipswich and we're going to spending more money on wages than us, which is clear. Whether that's a sensible way to get out of League One is another thing. But at the same time, when 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 the messaging has been that yeah, this is this this is going to be a big year for us, and it starts off the way it has, I think the frustrations boiled over very early, um, and and I'm not overly surprised.
0: One player then who did make his debut yesterday, Saturday, uh, Charlie Kirk. I think most crew fans are going to want to know how he got on. Yeah, um,
4: he he had flashes of of what we expect he can do. Obviously, he comes so highly... Rated from crew and uh we can see why i mean just purely his stats from from the last few years um so show, shows how good he, he was for you guys and um i think yeah we, we saw bits and pieces he probably had charlton's best chance actually but it wasn't the easiest chance it was um a, a little cross from Jaden stockley towards the near post And he sort of sort of scuffed it but it was he it came at him so quickly it wasn't the easiest to get to get a good connection on and i think one problem that charlton have had so far this season and and uh it was the same for Charlie yesterday. So, so now we've, we've got two wide men uh, in Charlie Kirk and Dalang Jaisimi, who I think are really good for this level, um, but we're not really feeding them the ball enough. So if you looked at the, the list of players who touched the ball, like Charlie Kirk was eighth out of 11 and, and DJ was 10th t- uh, out of 11. So we're not really giving them much chance to go and express themselves because I mean, like Charlie had, had a few moments. He, he, he was playing out on the left and he, he clearly likes to cut in on his right and he put in a couple of decent crosses. But I think the, the more we, we get him into the game and obviously it's only, it's only his first start as well, uh, the, the more we'll see of him. But I, I thought it was a positive debut, to be fair. And, you know, in, in in very trying circumstances for him, it's a very strange time for a player to, to move club. Obviously, with, with the sad news about his father. Um, it, it was. Um, it was. It was. It must be a really tough one to move to move down south for, for for a young man like him, and then and then to be thrown into a side that's not doing so well. Um, you know, I, I think he's already shown a lot of mental a lot of mental you know, toughness to, just to get out there and, and and play at all. So yeah, but uh, I'm really looking forward to seeing what he can bring because, as I said, he like clearly seems like a nice chap and, and, and clearly
0: highly rated from from his time at, at Gresty Road. Okay, Louis, I've got one fight. well, a couple of questions for you. Um, you've mentioned Jaden Stockley, obviously, Charlie Kirk's there. It wasn't so long ago since crew were down in the valley. Who's going to be different from last time that the two teams lined up? Mm, so, I mean, for size, we've got the new goalkeeper, Craig Mulgivray.
4: Um, he, he sort of uh, replaced Ben Amos. And, and like I say, yes, that was easily his best performance so far. He'd actually had a slightly shaky start. Um, but he's uh, sort of yeah, I know he's a good goalkeeper. He's put he's put that right yesterday for me. He looked very good. Um, funnily enough, I mean, so we have re-signed Akin Fameware as well. So Akin Fameware and Ryan Innes will still be our center half pairing. Our left backs, our left back is currently a right back, Chris Gunter, and our right back is one of the right backs we had last year as well in Adam Matthews. So then one of the main changes will be in the midfield as well. So we've got George Dobson, uh, who was uh, at Sunderland. He was on loan with, with AFC Wimbledon last season. He's come into the middle um, and uh, I think he got subbed off yesterday actually. He's he's started pretty much every game so far um, and then there's Sean Clare as well who, who's been out injured um, but if uh, he, he's been starting most games. So yeah, there's a few. I mean, these, these are players who are obviously new to the club and, and I think will still feel that they need to prove themselves and, and I think uh, Corey Blackett-Taylor we signed on Thursday or Friday uh, joined up with a squad uh and he, he came on for the last 20 minutes there's, there's another new player that you'll have to keep your eye on but um i don't know so far <laughs> i imagine it's uh those players are very much still bedding into the charlton side so i, I can't imagine there'll be you know it'll be an interesting game on, on saturday put it that way two teams who i imagine are rock bottom at the moment in turn of confidence
0: yeah so that brings us on to my final question then um one one draw last time um towards the end of last season what do you think is going to happen this Saturday
4: well I know from a Charlton perspective they absolutely need a reaction um obviously you know it's a week hence that whether there'll be more signings in the in the in the bag by then will will be I mean it's that the Charlton need a little bit of a boost in terms of new bodies coming in but yeah Charlton need Charlton need to to find a way I think the problem they've had at the moment at home is creating chances over those two those two home games. they've had Officially, they've had one shot on target. Although there was a long conversation in the press room after the game yesterday, trying to work out what our shot on target was yesterday. So we've decided it was a header back across from a corner from Ryan Innes that the keeper claimed. So I, I, we've effectively not had any shots on target. So I think crew will probably sit... Well, it's not the way I, I'd expect a crew team to play because like when they came to the Valley last year, I mean, they were excellent. And uh, and and really sort of forward thinking and uh, I think controlled the game. But I mean, if they want to sit back and try and frustrate us, then I think they'll find that quite easy to do. Um, but, you know, I, I don't know if crew play any differently to, to how they did last year, but I know it's, it's like they like to move the ball around really well and, and they felt really positive. So if they come and attack us, that'll be a more interesting game. And I'd expect us to therefore be able to utilise Kirk and DJ to run into the into the space they leave behind but it depends how how the manager wants wants to play it when he when comes to the valley because i mean if you if you go 20 minutes with us struggling to break you down the crowd will turn like that at the moment so i mean that
0: would be the way i try and play it Right, let's look now at our new competition. Remember, it's all about guess the minute of the first goal. Uh, Last week, there were two games. James was only seven minutes out on Tuesday, but then a whopping 67 out on Saturday, meaning he's second bottom above Alex, who was a total of 70 minutes out over his two guesses. Russ had a slightly better week. He finds himself in second place with an average of 16.3 minutes out per guess. Guys, this is your first go at this, Uh, so I'm going to do this in alphabetical order. Andy, what minute do you think the first goal will be scored at Leeds?
1: I'm going. um, I'm not saying who for, but I'm going. I'm going third minute.
0: Third minute. Okay, Steve. Seventh minute. (laughs) Tim.
2: I was going to say third minute,
0: but I suppose I better change it. I'll go fifth. Okay. So 3rd, 7th and 5th, crew are going to get off the flyer in your guys' opinion. Uh, We'll just reverse the order then. Tim, Charlton away Saturday? Uh, 90th. 90th, okay. Steve? 21st. Was that 21st, Steve? 21st, yeah. And Andy?
1: Ongoing 4th minute.
0: Okay. So quick starts to the game for you, Andy, both games this week
1: i so. Yeah, I'm, I'm hoping I'll up a big
0: of mine. OK, let's move on then. Um, there's people that we haven't spoken about on this podcast so far. Uh, I'm going to start, guys, by reading out a message I got off Mark Bertels, who's been on the pod a few times now. Um, and he's asked me to read this out if we've time. I think it's a good starting point for this topic. Uh, he said there was a crew Alex before Owen Dale and Tommy Lowry And there will be a Kralix after them. The club has lost far bigger and more influential players than those two. With all respect in the world, Tommy Lowry is no Danny Murphy and Owen Dale is no Dean Ashton. Neither player has served the club with any distinction over a period of time and given back to the club, which is given to them. Both players have been looked at closely when they were younger. Dale for his attitude and Tommy for his build. And yet both were kept on and nurtured when other clubs may have let them go. As hard as the situation may be, Supporters need to back the manager and realise the club is bigger and more important than any players. If we bow down even once, we will set a precedent which will then become unsustainable. Tim, do you agree with what Mark's saying there? Yes.
2: Uh, As far as I'm concerned, I support Dave Artell 100% in this. Tom Lowry needs to give his head a wobble. Um, He's one of my all-time favourite crew players. But the way it is right now, I don't ever want to see him pull the shirt on again. He's a a disgrace. There's no no getting around it. As far as I'm concerned, having him around the club is poisonous. And I just think he needs to get out of the club now. Um, And and to be honest, that goes for any of the others that think they're bigger than the club. Um, Mark's absolutely right. Perry NG and Harry Pickering played 500 times plus for the club between them. And some of these now that are throwing their toys out of the pram thinking they deserve a move haven't even played 50 times. The way you conduct yourself is, if you're putting in the performances on the pitch in consistently, the move will come. You don't start throwing your toys out of the pram at this stage. And it's not just because of the impact that it has on the club. If they really think there's championship managers out there who are looking for signings and the first thing they want to see is a player that's a disruptive influence, they're absolutely deluded. No one wants to sign a player that's seen as a as a rotten apple. So if they want their move, they need to get their heads down, work hard, put the performances in, play for the shirt, and it'll come organically. This is not how you go about things.
0: I agree with all of that, Tim. I would say, link to that, just that ridiculous article that we saw the other day, if you've seen it, you know what I'm on about. If you haven't seen it, you don't need to read it. But um, it literally said that crew are holding back players. Now, Steve... As a Crew fan for many years, how ridiculous is a sentence that Crew are holding back their players from bigger moves?
3: I think the whole article that we don't really want to mention was just a nonsense, and I think you might want to speak to Charlie Kirk to ask him, did Crew hold you back from your move or did they give you help and nurture you and make you let you choose the right club? And I think Tim's uh, got it absolutely spot on. Kirk, NG, Pickering did their time, they served their time in the first team and they went with everyone's best wishes because the amount of games they played for us and the amount of sweat um, they put into the shirt, whereas Lowry, and allegedly offered, maybe throwing their, and maybe even Dale as well, throwing their toys out the pram after playing what? However many games? Um, no, they, as Tim said, get your head down and if you're good enough, the move will come and find you and the club will do the best thing by you and you've got to trust them.
1: But you've got to have a bit of a guess at what's going on behind the scenes for me here. It, 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 for me, it's that it's, you know, we've got a manager in a club that are basically standing up to the agents and standing up to the, the the football agent profession. And it's in their interest to start briefing against the club. And so they'll be connected in the in the media all over the place, won't they? It's really in their interest now to start running stories out there that, that make this about uh, the way we're running our club and not about the fact that the players are being you know, demanded to take Tim's point there about, if I, you know, if I was a manager at another club, eyeing up one of these, one of the two or three of these players, I'd be thinking, well, do I really want them? They're a proven troublemaker. Well, it's in the interest of the agent to try and dispel that bit of the story and to make it look like it's, it's crew that are misbehaving and the player's been some sort of innocent victim in something here. And so that's why those stories are coming out. My, my reading of Football Insider is, uh, is that it's, you know, it's some kind of rag that just taps into the agent profession, getting them to leak stories all over the place uh to 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 work in the best interests of, of their uh of their industry not, not even of their players necessarily but of the of, of where those agents want to get to i'm a real skeptic actually when i read that stuff i think it's you know i see how the media's played you know left right and centre in other in other walks of life and i think it's no different in football
0: yeah as well as mark i had a message off my brother neil and he said that it's really ruined this promotion team the fact that they've just turned out to be these mercenaries money grabbers however want you want to say it I think the phrase that I said before really has bothered me, the fact that we are holding back players. And I was, to, this, you know, I was thinking about this last night. Um, you asked Premier League Dean Ashton, Premier League Rob Hulse, Premier League David Vaughan, Premier League Luke Varney, all of these players. There are so many more. You asked them what the club did to help them get to where they are. Did it hold them back? The answer is no. Owen Dale has played half a good season, maybe two thirds if we're being generous. Tommy Lowry has been in and out of the team with injuries for a few seasons now. Look good when he's good, but he's also a very small player. And the thing with Tommy Lowry is he's not signing a contract because of a release clause. A release clause. What he's saying is I'm not good enough to convince teams to spend a million pounds on me. I'm only good enough for teams to spend half a million on me. And if I don't sign this contract, I can't go on to a bigger team. Prove it. Prove you're good enough for the championship by playing in the crew team and doing what you think you're good enough to do in the future by going to the championship. Luke Offord, what's he played? 20 games, 30 games? He's been getting rave reviews. But give yourself a little you know, perspective. You're playing in the third division in England already. Stay, improve, get better, get your move. That's my uh, perspective on it. And it's really, really ruined the start of this season for me watching crew uh, because these are players that I really like watching and they have just leaving the club or they're going to leave the club with a really bad taste in my mouth. Um, so I don't like doing this. I put a tweet out yesterday. I've not set this podcast up to moan. I've not set this podcast up to be a negative space. I want this to be a positive thing about the club. There was a lot of negativity about the club when I set this podcast up. I don't want that, but at the minute, I'm just really struggling with some of these players.
1: I think you're right, Joe. I mean, for me, the the, the positivity is the way the club is handling all of this. You know, I, I I think Artel has been, you know, superb actually in 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 his in his standing up. And I think a lot of the messaging that we're seeing from the club at the minute, I don't think any of this is aimed at Dale or Lowry or these guys. I think in many ways, I think the club already feels it's lost them. You know, they've they, they've they've sort of walked out of the dressing room a little bit. I think this messaging is towards the 14. 15, 16-year-olds that are coming through in the academy and probably towards their parents as well to say, look, you know, this, this club looks after your boys. If they've got a chance of becoming you know, footballers, then you know, we'll give them the best chance you know, that, that they possibly can. But don't let their heads get twisted too early. I, I tell you one of the things I would like to see, actually, I thought about um, getting in touch with the crew analytics guy about this. I'd quite like to see some analysis of, of the players, where they went on to when they left Crew. The ones that left on good terms for a, for a transfer fee that went to a club in a higher division and where their careers then took them, versus those that seem to have left under a slight grumpiness, under a bit of a cloud, or went earlier than the club felt they should go. Um, you know, and I can think of a few down the years when you know, even back when Dario was saying, I think it was too early for him, and that, you know, and they went off to a, a, a club. I um, can't remember the name of the kiddie now, but he went off to Morris Doyle, wasn't it? He went off to QPR back in the day. He didn't even play like ten games in our first team. And Dario said, oh, he's, you know, it's way too early for him. And he just disappeared off the planet. He had no sort of career. And I think, you know, Max Clayton or Cole Clough, you know, you are seeing these folks that went relatively early in their careers and then, and then have done nothing really since then. And I I think it'd be really interesting piece of analysis to to, to look at and say, well, the ones that stay longer and go for a good fee and look at and, and leave on good terms, what does their career look like trajectory look like afterwards versus those that have left early perhaps on bad terms against the advice of the club and what does their career trajectory that'd be the kind of graph i'd be putting up in front of the the parents of my 13 14 15 year olds in the academy to say look this is what the trajectory career trajectory looks like for your you know for your son at crew if he if he's good enough and actually the ones that stick around and leave on good terms well they're the you know they're the ones that are becoming the millionaires down the line not not these boys who who get hungry early and and end up fizzling out I think you're spot on there,
0: Andy. Um, I mean, I don't remember the player you've just mentioned. I think that might be before my time. But there's two that stick in my mind. If you want to see what good club development is, Dean Ashton, what was he, 16 when Arsenal put a million pound bid for him? Dario said, no, that's ridiculous. He's going to stay here. He's going to play in the first team. He's going to learn how to be a footballer. A few years down the line, he gets his move when he's ready to Norwich for three million because that's the right thing to do. The other one that, you know, Dean Ashton's too old for Owendale or Tommy Lowry. He's 20 years ago. You want to look at Harry Pickering. Harry Pickering put his head down, he did what he should be doing, and he's got himself a move to the championship. And by all accounts, and what I see now, from the assists that he's already got, from the reviews I'm getting from Blackburn fans, he's had a superb a superb start to the season. That's the way you do it. You yeah. don't put your you throw you throw your toys out the pram and say, I'm not signing this contract over a release fee or a storm out of training which might have happened. It might not have. Um, I don't support, and I've, you know, I've had a little bit of fun with this in the past, calling in Holmes Chapel's Tommy Lowry, but I don't support Tommy Lowry. I'm a Crew Alex fan. I'm completely with you guys when you say that you think that Dave Artell is doing the right thing here by the club. If this happens and these players are allowed to do this and we walk over, there is no crew model. There's no academy. There's no way of us from uh, carrying on the way that we do. And one of the best things in my mind about being a crew fan is that we get to see these young kids come up through our academy, become footballers and then go on to the next level when they are ready in a move that is good for them and that is good for the club. So, I mean, I think I'm about finished now. I'm not going to run anymore, but I think that's about all I want to say. OK, a little bit of a change of pace then. Dave, I'm going to ask you to come in because... Um, there's something that you have had a request for from Bob Scott uh, that we want to sort of get out there and see if anyone can help us out with.
5: Yeah, um, for anyone who's not heard it yet, we did an interview with uh, Bob Scott uh, over the summer um, and there might be some people who don't know who Bob Scott is or was, but he was a a cult hero for Crew in the late 70s and early 80s and I just um, would encourage The younger listeners to to listen to that, even if you don't know who he is, or or tell your dad or your granddad because they'll, I'm sure they'll be interested. It was a real good insight into the pre Dario days um, of what of how life was at at the Alex. But since that, since Bob um, was kind enough to come on the podcast, um, he's been in touch with me again and. He'd quite like to, he'd like, he'd like to know if there's any more footage of him playing. There's a little bit of footage that I think a Trammere fan put on social media not long ago, which's got a few clips of a, a Trammere crew game. Um, and there's a few seconds of footage of Bob Scott playing. Well, Bob, because it was in the pre sort of video days, he says that's the only time he's ever seen any footage of himself playing and he really loved seeing it. So he's, he's asked us to put an appeal out. Has anybody else got any cine film or old video footage? of the early, sort of late 70s, early 80s, which might feature Bob Scott playing for the Alex. Um, And if that is the case, get in touch with us and we'll we'll let Bob know. And um, I'm sure he'd be absolutely delighted.
0: Yeah, so if anyone does have anything, then just send it to me on any of the Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, email, whatever uh, ways you want to get in touch. uh, And we can send that on to Bob. In our second public service announcement this week, I had a message off a guy called Jonathan Cooper. He's out in Singapore, And he was just letting me know that he and someone else out there have started the Crew Alex Singapore supporters group. There are currently two members of the Crew Alex Singapore supporters group. So he wanted to know if there's anyone else listening to this that are crew fans and if they are in Singapore. And if so, to get in touch with him again via me if you want to. So if there is anyone there who uh, in Singapore who are crew fans then get in touch uh, to help Jonathan grow that supporters group. I think that will do us for another week then. So, Tim, thank you for coming on. No worries. Thanks for having me. Andy, thanks for coming on for your Monday pod debut.
1: Oh, My pleasure. Thank you.
0: And Steve, thank you. I'm going to let you leave the services and continue on your journey home now.
3: Thank you. Can I hasten to add, I have actually slept and stayed at my mother's house. I haven't been driving since 4.45 yesterday. Thanks for having me on.
0: Thank you, as ever, for listening. We'll be back next week. Until then, goodbye.